Hello, waterfowlers. This is the old timer coming to you from downtown Memphis with episode 49, which we'll get to shortly. I hope you had a beautiful, blessed day so far. You know, I usually do historical stories on duck hunting, and every so often I reflect back and do a reflective story on my family and me, or just a reflective story at all to try to get you to thinking about your own life, hunting with your son, and maybe you have a daughters that hunt, but just to reflect back and take some time out from the busy life of this world and enjoy things and look at the beauty of Mother Nature. So here we go with a preamble before we actually get into episode 49. If I could choose where to spend my golden years, it would be in the charming solitudes of my waterfowling club, far from the concrete and asphalt jungles of city life and its tumultuous hurries of the world, and far from the pension gripe of avarice and deceit. It is there where I relish a thousand innocent delights which are repeated with satisfaction during every visit, each visit a beautiful blessing. It is there where I live exempt from the assaults of cell phones, emails, and traffic, and those enchanting wetlands which often extend far out of sight, and where I see so many different species of waterfowl. To conclude, here it is that, at the birth of a new day, and the gentle murmuring of a pure and living breeze, and enchanted with the concerts of mallards, teal, and pintails, which fill the awakening sky, I agreeably contemplate the wonders and glory of Mother Nature, while examining them all at my leisure and pleasure. It is there that I am alone, while at the same time being surrounded by life, her grace, her presence, and her love, with my heart overflowing with joy, happiness, and gratitude. It is a place where I can admire the beauty and wonders of the wild things around me and admire the benevolence of my Father God, the Creator. So here we go with episode 49. And once again, this is reflective and it'll be sort of prose. And it's entitled, In the Land of Pleasant Remembrances. One who has reached the twilight of his journey and still loves meadows and the mountains the rivers and marshes, for the best they have to bestow, sees nothing about him or beyond him so beautiful as the enchanted land of youth, which lies far beyond him and half shrouded in the golden mist of memory. Long ago he reveled in the mirage of youth and hoped that scenes as fair as his younger's days would always be before him, but ever receded as he matured. They were never nearer than Damar, then faded, then vanished. Now he knows that he shall never find in the entire creation a land so perfect as that which lies as far behind him. He remembers it not as a land of fantasy, but of idyllic realities. Its unwavering winters were exhilarating and never too long, the golden sunlight never too hot nor unwelcoming, its embracing springs, its balmy summers, its mellow autumns, never too short, for the months of each seasons were longer than years are now. There were ducks then and long after, when glorious mallards boisterously quacked in the rivers and bayous, while Bob White whistled for his mate. Cornfields were not valued according to their bushels of grain, but according to the quail and waterfowl that were attracted to them. 
Just as it was then, it lies behind you now, traversed by shadowy forms of friends. But you may not enter it, only may you look backward upon it through the mist of years and of eyes blurry with age. Yet blessed is he who so witnesses it and in such possession holds it. I remember a boy in blue denim overalls and how he pleaded that day to go with his father and friend on a hunting trip. The boy wanted to go badly, so anxious to know and to try, and after an appeal that he argued relentlessly, they surrendered. The attic was soon awakened with the sound of excitement as he searched for his hunting coat, warm clothes, and patched-up hip boots scattered about the floor. Fetching his gun, he rambled outside to answer the call of the red gods, whose lure descended from ancestors in primitive times that followed the hunts in fields and woodlands. In the early morning haze, rubber-booted, he stole to the water's edge and waited amongst the cattails and willows. Silently and motionless, he stood breathing Mother's nature, clean, fresh air. Then, without warning, swiftly moving objects appeared out of nowhere, with their pinions whistling overhead. Loaded, he fired two shots in quick succession. Wisp of smokes curled upward from his muzzle as a greenhead tumbled before his gun, while the clamoring flock vanished in the beyond. Their wings built strong to beat against the winds of the north. They were worth a second glance, for one had made his last journey. While the boy smoothed out his feathers tenderly and with deep respect, his father replied joyfully, Well, what do you know about that? Wasn't your shot a thing of beauty? Silence reigned while he reloaded. Firing again and again, no duck fell. Still he didn't sulk, he was satisfied, for he had answered the call of the red gods and felt the spirit of wintertime and answered its friendly calling. With a shadow of evening gathering, the cool breath of evening rushed up from the marshlands while the birds hushed their songs and all was quiet about him. Tis the twilight hour, the most lovely of all. That night around the campfire, piled high with blazing logs, the talk turned to haunts of the bygone years. On into the darkness it went until his father called it a night. Lying on a bed of pine needles under a little A-tent, the rain came while the tiny voice of the wind came stealing and creeping through the branches in a whisper. Hence I drew the blanket closer and listened to the pattering on the canvas a few inches above while the last flickering embers of the campfire were being quenched. What sweet memories live in the music of the raindrops of that rainy night long ago? Will there ever be a gentler sound than the pelting of the raindrop? Was ever music more sublime or so more thrilled? Was ever goose down more gracious than those whole homespun blankets that covered me? As the years lengthened, I confess that I have grown old. Only to myself, perhaps, have I made admission of the fact with stiffening joints dulling of outward senses and failing of youthful vigor, force upon me, but in plain fact, is not to be disputed by myself to myself. I find myself offering excuses against going afield and accepting the validity of such as would have seemed too trifling for my notice ten years ago. It looks likely to rain, and a wedding is sore affliction to O. Arthur. Ten years ago, no such aching limitation had been put upon my locomotion, and I laughed at the lazy fellows who pleaded for staying at home.
saying it's too windy or too cold or the snow is too deep. Long ago, the wind might have puffed his cheeks in vain to stop me. The cold could not have nipped in the bud my desire of an outing, nor snowdrifts piled so deep that it should be isolated. Nevertheless, any of these and lesser obstacles nearly always keep me at home now, and I content myself with promises of better days and preparations thereof, and cleaning of guns, loading of shells, and overhauling tackle, and in this in anticipation find more pleasure than in use and fulfillment. Yet when I do go out for a day to fill, I feel much of the old passion. My heart beats the old familiar compliment to the sudden thunder of quail, the teal's whistle, the mallard's quacking. I note with as much delight as ever, perhaps, with more every breathe of Mother Nature, and at times feel almost youthful again. However, for all these there is something lacking, and with them something given. I remember the longing in my heart to seek the outdoors where I find solitude, where I could sit and listen to the birds singing where I could be close to God. I remember how in times long ago an indescribable aroma of the woods tickled my nostrils dying until dusk and how a continual wild exuberance thrilled my senses throughout the day. Then a successful shot brought only pride and exultation and thirst for more. Now, with the astonished appreciativeness that all quickness and skills have not completely departed from my eyes and hand, comes thoughts of future days spent afield. Then I was never tired and never knew that I was till the day's sport was ended. Now I must often confess exhaustion and frequent proclivity to repose. Now there comes only faint elusive gust of subtle fragrance, only touches of the old exhilaration. Logs were troublesome impediments then, now they are thankful seats. All reverence and all admiration to whomever keeps the south of life fresh in his veins and refuses to weaken until death's hands touches him. And if a man's wealth were only reckoned from his recollections rather than from his money, how rich would be the lovers of the forest and streams, and what an Eldorado would exist in the land of pleasant remembrances. Time can deal the memory along some lines, but to the man who inherits a compelling passion for the shotgun and the out-of-doors, the recollections of the hunt becomes more vivid as time slips away and other occurrences are forgotten. And we find that the old-timers in his last days wax warm and in spirit becomes young again in relating his hunting experiences, the relating of which is a never-ending source of pleasure and gratification to him. The good old days associated with the hopes and pleasures of youth and mellowed in memory by the passage of time seem better than all other days. What if my eyesight is dimmer, my hands less nimble, and my steps not the springiness of youth? My companions of the field and woodlands are all gone now, some crossing over the great divide, while others are yet afoot but far away. Dearest of all was my dad who first taught me to shoot, my first hook he baited. He became my chosen companion, most beloved of all men, brave, tender, and true. Alike in our taste and love of nature, as his days lengthened, it was his reverie of earthly enjoyment to renew his youth beside old rivers and meadows in the shadows of the old homestead. In old age, when wisdom had scattered snow on his temples, he often drew his trusty double out of its retirement 
polished his smooth barrels with loving care, and smiled at each scar on his well-worn dock. Records of many a hard-fought battle, where, like Saul, he had slain his thousands, are said so on his return. For myself, in the twilight years of life's journeys, the trees are yet still waving and green, and the dews are brilliant as when I brushed them away. I still enjoy the fields and streams without leaving the fireside, for many another sportsman who wills as well as the pen as a rod and gun will write of the things that my mind recalls and my heart responds to. He will lead me into flooded fields and timber, where thread the unmarked paths of the wilderness and paddle my parole on mysterious tributaries and hunt for me better than I could for myself. Therein I too, grown garrulous, will tell the stories of my exploits, and though as seen through the haze of years, they may be somewhat multiplied, magnified, and glorified. My life as a sportsman has been a melody made up of good days and bad days, and I am apt to remember best those that gave me the largest bag of game, the best mess of fish, or the most pleasure, and so it is, for I have a rich depository of such memories to draw upon. As I do so, I hope you will be fraternal and doff your hat and drink to my memories, dreaming that you were with me in the flesh, as I will ever be in spirit. My wife and I have now been married fifty years. We have lived happy lives, and I trust we may die painless and happy deaths. Our two sons are all that we could reasonably wish them to be, and have been a great source of pleasure to us in our old age. We have been greatly blessed for which we can be exceedingly thankful to our Heavenly Father. Although time's defacing ways have long quenched the radiance of our brows, our love for each other is as warm and devoted as it ever was. That heart that once truly loves never forgets, but truly loves on to an end. When the shadows from the hills have grown longer, caused by the departing sun, kindly think of me as my days spent amid the solitude of Mother Nature with the sweetest peace to me. Sometime, somewhere in that undiscovered paradise, high in the heavens, whose scenes are painted by his hand, shall I find a happy hunting ground, the axe of the lumberman has not encroached, where the wetlands have not been drained, where the somberness of the vast woodlands, its brooding calm, its sequestered depth, its flickering lights, and the beckoning shadows remain unchanged from year to year, where the sky is filled with countless geese and ducks, where with the shades of guns whose likes are made no more, and with friends and dogs whose like dwell not now upon this earth shall I hunt the ghost of game that has no closed season. I leave you with this poem. If a man could be born when he's old and gradually grow young, the wisdom he had gained and the lore he had attained are not easily said or sung. The yesteryear days have come and gone. How do I wish that I was a child again? All right, Waterfowlers, that ends episode 49. I hope you enjoyed it. It's always nice to reflect back on one's life and to take care of your boys and girls if they hunt. Take care of them anyway if they don't hunt. They're precious little children of God. Please visit my website, waterfowling.net. On there you will see my blog, which has a bunch of old stories which you can read and enjoy. Also, look at the books that I have. Uh, I have volume three of historic waterfowling images available. All you have to do is contact me. 
through the contact button on the blog site. Volume 3 of Historic Waterfowling Images covers Maine, Massachusetts, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Indiana, Illinois, Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Oklahoma, Iowa, and even Georgia, which I left out in Volume 1. Volume 3 has some unbelievable images, punt guns, sink boxes, just fantastic images of, of market hunting. It's 240 pages. Volume 1 was 200 pages. Volume 2 was 220 pages. So this is a heavy book on 100-pound glossy white paper, hardcover, of 240 pages of nothing but over 300 images and, and text that goes along with it. If you see some old, old books that are out of print that I've published over the years on waterfowling history, contact me and I'll see if I can find one and locate it for you. Also, I have a three-set volume of Volume 1, Volume 2, and Volume 3 of Historic Waterfowling Images that covers the United States. It's old historical duck hunting images with accompanying text. Contact me if you want the set. I don't have any Volume 1s. I have. I can get a few of Volume 2s if you want to try just Volume 2. But contact me and I'll see what I can do. I'm going to leave you, as usual, with God bless.